here we are. Welcome back. Hour number three, exclusively on TruthFrequencyRadio.com. We're going to do it commercial-free, as always, for hour number three. We've got Alan Watt cutting through the Matrix.com, the website. And uh, there's so much we can get into in this hour, completely uninterrupted. Now, Cherie was telling me something interesting during the break. And, Alan, I would love to get your take on this as well. But uh, she was telling me that what they're doing is encouraging pain patients to step into this virtual reality realm to, uh, to alleviate their pain. Now, I don't understand how this works because, to my understanding, virtual reality is just some goggles that you put on, and it's not a technology that can be achieved. But obviously, they've come to a point to where they can tap you into this virtual reality realm and disconnect the mind from the body and also disconnect the pain from the body, which I think ultimately will lead to a form of control. Uh, I mean, maybe even so far as to put people in pods. I know that sounds crazy, and, and some people have talked about it, but you don't really hear about it too much, but it, it is becoming a very real possibility now. What are your thoughts? There's no doubt about that. They've gone into uh, epigenetics, they call it, and epigenetics is the, the fact that they understand an awful lot about how various hormonal uh, changes happen in the body and, and the, the switches that switch on and off different things. In fact, it's always DARPA that leads the field in this to do with the, the weaponization of all knowledge and, and they put into practice. So much of it comes from the military-industrial complex on, on this knowledge, including all the, all the knowledge we get for medicine. It's always got military applications first. And we forget the military isn't straight out war, as we think war is all-encompassing. And war always goes on on the general public, uh, even in times of what you think is peace for control, control, control. Well, with epigenetics, you can switch on certain parts of the brain, switch them off, uh, switch on enzyme uh, take-up for proteins and so on to different uh, parts of the body. Uh, and uh, the same thing goes with pain. If you can switch off the receptors for pain, uh, then you'll be pain-free. Uh, it's all to get you used to, or used to or adapted to the idea that down the road you should tr- that medi- this new kind of medicine is really very, very good. So you go into the next step, which is all leading towards total control by others over you, ultimately, including your mind, your completely, uh, your brain. Yeah, and and uh, neuroscience has talked a lot about this. Big money goes into neuroscience, and uh, I think it's um, Professor Persinger. Uh, who's from the U.S. actually, but he works in, in uh, Laurentian University in Canada. He's got videos up on YouTube to do with this field they're creating, uh, this field uh, through Wi-Fi, uh, through the cell phone, uh, um, and so on, the, the microwave frequencies. We're all enveloped in a field and getting more so, stronger field, interconnected all the time. And eventually, he said, you'll be able to feel the pain of someone starving in parts of Africa. Won't that be a great thing? He said, well, will it really? Uh, does anyone have the right to make you feel physically something uh, which is not uh, happening to you or it shouldn't be, and, it, and it's happening to someone else? Uh, and that's a, a, a frightening thing uh, to give that kind of power to anyone. And there's, there's always going to be controllers over all of this, and it won't be you. Oh, wow. I never even thought of it that way. Oh, man, that would that would be horrible. 
It says yep. that future- well, some people some people are saying that they're using that technology now. Stuart Swerdlow, for mm-hmm. instance, um, says that part of the projects that he was involved in, and you know, I don't know how much of it I, I, I can take. I take everything with a grain of salt. Let me just put it like that. But um, mm-hmm. that they're actually projecting these energies of uh, torture and things like that out into the public to create um, feelings of. In society, like even Jesse Ventura was talking about wind towers. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Well, I, I, we do know that, that they've uh, uh, they've created a society that's addicted to almost sadomasochism. You, if you if you add this, see these are primitive parts of the brain. That they call them primitive, but they're actually survival parts of the brain. Procreation is survival in its most basic form of the species. And when you when you bring that in, and you also bring in violence. The things you will see in warfare, where, where, where troops will rape people, uh, and these troopers could be normal next-door neighbors growing up with you, and you wouldn't believe they do, but they do this abroad when they go abroad, because the primitive part takes over this excitement, high adrenaline, uh, the power of life and death over people, and, and the sexual part comes in too. You have pure sadomasochism and, and work, at work there, and they've addicted the general public to movies, constant movies of sadomasochism. Yeah, so it's well understood this works awfully well on the, on the mind itself for control purposes. Yeah. I've got to say that I, I found myself uh, falling into that trap as well. There's a show that we used to watch called Dexter where it's about a serial killer, but he only goes and murders the bad people. And you start to watch this show and you start to empathize, uh, with, them. empathize with them. And then you're going, oh, my God, Dexter didn't make a kill this show. This is a bad show. We can't wait till next week to watch him actually make a kill and kill one of these bad people. Uh, yeah. It's programming all the way around. And it's so hard not to fall into that trap. The movie Saw, for oh, instance, yeah. um, you know, there's ten movies Saw where people are being tortured in the most horrific ways. I can't watch, but that. it's people who deserve it, and so mm-hmm. you start to empathize with the killers. Yes, and as I say too, addicts the watcher for more and more of this because it, it literally stimulates other uh, hormones and so on in the, the brain as you're watching them. It isn't just a, a psychological change, pure, pure and simple. It's both, actually. You have a psychological change of viewing things in a different way. Your morality changes. Your ability to, to decide what's right and wrong changes. And don't forget, when you throw basic morality out the window and, and you're, you're chewing on uh, someone that, that, that's killing without law, uh, you can also say, okay, now the government can do that to us with impunity, too. You're getting consent to something which you don't understand, but you are. You're giving consent to government agencies to do the same thing to you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like the golden rule on steroids. It's it's whatever you whatever you will accept being done to somebody else could potentially come back and be done to you. Absolutely, it's tacit approval, and and silence connotes uh, approval. You see. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, they're saying that future possibilities for virtual reality's use in pain conditions may include such diverse groups as military personnel, space exploration teams, and our ever-increasing elderly population. And I think that's how they're going to do it. They, There are millions and millions of people that were born during the baby boom era that are now aging and they're getting older and they're starting to get sicker and I think that they're really going to be able to usher this in, not because people want to be out of pain and they want to be in this virtual reality, but really it's the only option that they have left uh, to be able to have at least some happiness in their life because the healthcare system is is just 
terrible right now. And people that are, have chronic pain, like I have chronic pain, and I use medical marijuana to treat it because it's natural. And that makes a whole lot of sense to me. But people that aren't in Colorado or aren't in states where that's available, they're in pain. The doctors have put – well, it wasn't the doctors. It was the DEA that put restrictions on the doctors as to how much pain medication they can give these people – and so instead of their doctor taking care of them, these people are just left in pain. Now, if somebody came along to a person that has severe arthritis and says, well, if you give up your body and you can, you can be in this virtual reality and you'll, you won't feel any more pain and you'll be happy and you, you'll still have somewhat of a life, it'll be in virtual reality, but at least you won't have the pain, I can name five people off the top of my head who would do it. Mm-hmm. They've done this with uh, so many things in the past uh, to get laws put through and things put through uh, under the guise of helping people. Believe you me, they've no intention of helping people, especially folk who are sick. There have been many, many, many speeches. Obama's made speeches during his uh, election campaign, the last one, and he, he gave the knowledge of his mother or his grandmother who was sick and terminal and the money it was spent on trying to save her or prolong her life could be better used in other purposes. Euthanasia is what they want to bring in. Now, in the United Nations, under this authoritarian system, they've already said that a good global citizen is a good producer and consumer. When you've retired or you're sick, you're not a good uh, producer, you're a consumer. And they've also put into another category as a burden on the state. Anyone who becomes a burden on the state, believe you me, they'd rather eliminate and they'd rather, give, they'd rather have your consent to have you eliminated under euthanasia rather than order you to be done. So don't, don't believe, whenever they say we're going to help, this is going to help people medically, this is a standard technique, this is going to help people. We allow it to happen, then a different agenda always comes right out of it immediately. It's happened in the past before. So you can never believe them. It's like when DARPA, DARPA is in, into the business of creating incredibly high-tech weaponry, weaponry. And yet DARPA, a few years ago, had was front page. Uh, they had a paraplegic, they put a brain chip in them, and they said he could move uh, a mouse just with his mind. Oh, no, not all the time, occasionally. It could be hit and miss for all, you know. But the idea was to make you think that they were there to, DARPA is not there to help paraplegics. Has to do with control of the general public down the road. And most war, don't forget, is not on the battlefield, the physical battlefield. It's on you and keep in control of you, all of the population. That's what war is all about. It's always on the go. Wow. Uh, you know, leading academics endorse euthanasia for the weary in spirit. They're, they're advocating euthanasia simply for people who have existential suffering a despair in life and not any kind of physical illness but people are just sad and they they're sad and they're depressed and they don't know why and so they're saying that that they should be euthanized if they want to be euthanized i it, it's incredible and they're even they've even passed a law i think it was in belgium a new euthanasia law saying that they can put children to sleep now that's right. Yeah. Right, and, and so See, again, once once you open Pandora's box and allow one thing, they immediately expand it to get to the real targets of where they want to go. It's like any law they put on the books. 
is, is generally a feint, like in, like in boxing. Uh, you pretend you want to hit them on the left hand, you hit them on the right hand. But that's how most laws get on the books. Uh, once they have it on the books, they go into the real targets, what they really want to go after. Uh, and uh, it takes, and, and then it's already in law. It's a matter of addition, adding to that law, and it's quite a simple matter then. There's no debate about it. Now, we know that there are many surveys over many years, again, on, on, the, on the, the good citizen, as I say, the world citizen, producer-consumer, They've classified various people under, under chronic mental illnesses uh, and so on, um, and physical illnesses as well, as, as burdens on the state. Economic factors, it's all coming down to economic factors today and profit and so on. And the more money you can save, say, from the disabled or, or mentally uh, unstable, whatever it happens to be, if you can save money on those folk by eliminating them altogether, then they can use those, those uh, money towards their big international corporations. Because every international corporation, even the ones that deal inside your own nation occasionally, uh, are, are fed on big projects by your tax money. That's the biggest public welfare there is, is towards corporate welfare. Right. You have the well, and it all works together too because you have the vaccine program, and the vaccine program causes autism, and then you have an autism program yeah. that causes more mental illness in these kids because if a, if a child's autistic and you give them antidepressants, they could go off the other way and be manic and hurt people, and then that brings on more psych meds, and then more and more and more until you're so sick from all this psych meds that your organs start to fail and then they bring you into the into the general medical system and it just goes on and on and on so it all works in the same way yeah yeah and that, that's also by the way why they wanted to really control religions because for many centuries even though there's always a power elite who ran the financial system and, and benefited from having a nation in the first place they, which they ruled they wanted to go into a new system where, where they could uh, uh, have total control. Whereas religion at one time used to affect them too. They couldn't break the moral rules which the public at least believed in. And now most of the public are atheistic or so on, or they have watered-down versions of their religion. And, uh, and uh, they accept these things as, as going on, like euthanasia or abortion. It started with abortion. I knew once they started with abortion, they then go for the other extreme, the elderly, which they have done. And then now they're going into, as you say, people who say, I'm depressed. So it, it expand and expand and expand it once they put the law in the books. And, uh, and of course, as I say, most religion today has been, uh, that's, that's why most of the war against religion has taken place, by the way. Well, and they're doing it a different way than Hitler did. Hitler used the excuse of, well, they're life unworthy of life, they're, they're a drain on the system, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas this time, they're actually trying to trick people into supporting it by saying, oh, well, they want to be put to sleep. This five-year-old child is in severe pain and wants to be put to sleep. So who are you to tell this little five-year-old child that they can't die and that they have to stay living in this, in this horrible body? And, and so they're trying to make it acceptable by saying it's going to be good for people to kill them. It's to train society that this is becoming a new norm. And then once it's, again, once you accept that new norm, they expand it up the board. If you get in trouble with the police, for instance, they might say it's time to euthanize you. And that will come too, down the road. Yes. And, and then it will come from minor infections uh, down the road too. 
Because this is, this is the authoritarian structure and scientific control of society that's really taking shape today and being implemented. But they have to train you for every step of it as we go along. And when you accept one thing where there's a strict taboo, uh, don't break that taboo, uh, as I say, you open Pandora's box and then go the next step and the next step and the next step. And that's what happens. That's why there's prime moralities, base moralities, which can't be broken. Once you break them, uh, they can do what they want with you down the road, implementally, you know, incrementally, I should say. Yeah. And that's happening. Let, let me ask you, Alan, um, what, what is your take on religion? Is it something that's spiritually beneficial to humanity? Um, I, I, I tend to go along with the rest of the general population that uh, religion is kind of a control mechanism, and I, I tend to lean more towards the uh, atheism, even though I take it a step further. I believe there's, there's a higher power. We are the higher power. You know, I have a lot of Gnostic beliefs and things like that, but I've started to realize that religion has been a flat-out lie and a flat-out means of control. You may disagree with me on that, though. What, what do you think? Well, all religions, when they start out, are completely different from the way they end up uh, because they're taken over by the power structures of materialism, wealth, etc. And, and the rulership of kings, queens, and now it's governments and fronting for multinational corporations. So religions always change their structure. Christianity, for instance, has very little in common uh, with its, 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 that it had in the first couple of centuries of its existence as to what it turned out to be. Uh, the same with, uh, with uh, Buddhism uh, and so on. They're completely changed by the, the, the controlling structure that wants to use it as a pacifying method of control over the public. Uh, so, but along with it comes often a, a prime, prime tenets which can't be broken uh, even by the rulers, if they get the public to accept those tenets, they can't, they, they, then the rulers can't break them by using things against you. In other words, life is sacred. These kind of things have to be prime. Once you break that, you, you have nothing to fall back on that you can agree on. Uh, and once the, you, you, you can't agree that there's anything sacred about anything or even life itself, then the sky's the limit is what can be done to you. So, so there's a, pl- a pro and a con for, for these kind of things. Human beings are all, yeah, but it's a spiritual nature in man that looks for something beyond this, all of this. And that will always be here. It's always been here uh, and will continue. Uh, but uh, is they, what they pushed, and they said they would push in the 1800s, they said they'd push a new age of religion. And so out came theosophy, uh, backed by the establishment, especially in Britain, uh, and I mean the House of Lords and so on who were behind it. And they pushed Blavatsky and that kind of thing because uh, they understood that it was easier to, to bring in, see, um, religion from India with its millions of gods, actually, and mix it with Christianity and eventually dilute the prime tenets that were always in their way of total control over the individual. Where, I mean, lords at one time wanted to kill the peasant with impunity. Uh, and, but because you had the religious structure, it was a taboo thing just to go and kill a peasant because you didn't like him. Uh, once you do away with the religious factors and, and, and no one can agree on a common religion, then, as I say, the sky is the limit to what they can do with you. Uh, and what they can do with one other person, they can turn around and do with you as well. Don't ever forget that. So it had its pros and cons uh, because it unified um, what we called morality, at least. And that's awfully important. When you have no morality and you have a unification of morality, then it's up, you have um, basically a, a philosophy 
of moral relativism where anybody's idea is as good as anybody else's other idea. And therefore Hitler's a good guy. Uh, Matsy Tong's a good guy. Uh, all these guys are good guys, but because of what they did was just their idea at the time, what was wrong with that? That's what they say. That that's where you end up with moral relativity, where one there's no set acceptance of morality. A- any butcher can come along and you'll say, well, that's just his way of doing things. You have no, you have no point of view. You see. Let, let me yeah. ask you. Let me ask you this, Alan. What do, What is your take on uh, the mystery schools, for instance, and the the teachings of the mystery schools? Because I, I've come to a place in my research right now where I'm I'm contemplating on whether or not there there is some hidden secrets and some hidden knowledge in these mystery schools, and they're kept away from us uh, on for on, for a purpose, for the purpose of control, because they want to keep this knowledge to themselves. They don't want this knowledge to be used against them or to, to free the individual, so they hold it as sacred as possible. They um, paint it as a cult, as demonic, as evil, and then you have the religions that are backing all of this up, and ultimately, I, I think it's another tool that we can utilize, or Anyways, I'm contemplating on whether or not it's another tool that we can utilize along with the Second Amendment, along with our free speech, along with everything else. But these are physical attacks and spiritual attacks that we're facing, too. What do you think about going down that line? Well, the the mystery schools always existed. Uh, Most of them came out at times of, of, say, a dominant religion, and they didn't want to go along with that religion. So they had to hide what they were doing as a cabal, if you like. Uh, with their own oaths, etc., in order to unify them together, uh, and uh, because because if you were caught under heresy, the heretic laws, you'd be hung immediately. So they formed their, their schools, their secret societies, etc., where they, they could fight a system in, in very clever ways, propaganda, things like that. But um, hopefully, they wouldn't be caught. If they were caught, you'd be bound to secrecy. So if you were caught, you didn't squeal on their other guys. If you did squeal on them and you were released, they'd, they'd kill you. So you your blood oaths, etc. But you also have traces of that in ancient times as well. I mean, the Romans had their own equestrian order for a mystery school religion uh, for, for the elite. Uh, you find the same thing in Greece as well, uh, and, uh, and uh, the Elysian schools. Back to Egypt even, the ancient... Uh, uh, aristocracy of Greece all trained and, and or educated in Egypt by the priesthoods. And some of them even had to do their, their, go from one mystery school, as they called it. Mystery at that time meant, meant explanation of all that was. Uh, and so you'd learn a form of basic uh, physics. Uh, they were really interested in how humanity worked. Uh, and again, just like today, social structures, power structures over populations, things like that. Uh, psychology, and it's uh, without using that term, but it was the nature of things. But the, the greatest puzzle was humanity itself. How do you control humanity? And how do you use humanity for your benefit if you're, if you're an aristocrat? Uh, these are very important subjects. So some of them uh, did a trip to, to the big meccas of the mystery schools from, from, from Egypt, and they go there to India, even in ancient times, and um, even into the Middle East too, because uh, Jerusalem had one as well. And right. uh, so, so you find that the mystery schools have always been here. When they became revolutionary, it was in about the 18th century, op- openly revolutionary. Before that, you had the Cathars broke out against the Catholic Church, the Bogomils. They're really the same group, really, um, a secret society uh, who fought against the Catholic Church. Um, and they were, they were crushed uh, mightily. 
but uh, they didn't stop. And eventually they came out. Uh, there was a, a um, there was a you might call it a, a coalition of groups who were were not happy with the present structure across Europe. Uh, there, were, there were there were Christian groups who were still Christian, but they didn't want to believe in the, in the Catholic version. In fact, all they knew that was all your reality was basically the, the Gospels. Uh, so they didn't want to throw it completely off, and they emerged um, with the Old Testament uh, more so, because the Old Testament, an Old Testament was based on revolution, for folk who don't understand that. Uh, There's a lot of revolution against uh, opposing powers who are trying to do in your country or your religion or take you over. And so had lots of revolution, and laws especially bring in law. And so that was heavily debated in the mystery schools, and they borrowed heavily from that. There was, there was also a coalition between um, Kabbalistic Judaism and the early uh, Freemasonry or Rosicrucianism, and they formed their big power centers in Europe, financial power centers, and then they, they put it eventually into, into England and formed the Grand Lodge of England. So the Grand Lodge of England uh, became a power structure for the top bankers to rule an empire, a world empire, and they also uh, brought in the elite aristocracy into it initially. And event only, only later did they bring in lower members in society because they understood that they needed people all throughout society to work for them. And uh, from then, they, they, they exported revolution across Europe and to Holland, from Holland. They exported it there and to France as well, and they exported it into other countries. It was really revolution which they were exporting. Um, under the guise of Freemasonry. And that's why the, the Catholic Church, which watched it carefully, had such great documentation on all of the agents being sent over from the Grand Lodge who were fomenting revolution within those countries across Europe. Uh, the one thing they had to do in England, because England was already conquered by this group, um, uh, in England, the Masons there swore allegiance to that system. And it wasn't the old system. They meant their own system, the new system. And and so at home, you, 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 they swore allegiance to keep it peace, the peace, this new law, etc. That they put, they put forth, but abroad it was it was perpetuate revolution, and this came into America too, of course, as you know through the York rights. Uh, Benjamin Franklin Franklin joined it. He joined other lodges as well, and then he joined the the Grand Orient Lodge in France when he was the ambassador to France. So he became the head of the Nine Sisters Lodge there. So. Freemasonry definitely was a big, a powerful thing for controlling and unification of a new power structure. Yeah. Exactly. That's what's leading me down this road is uh, they, they've been using whatever secrets are being held for hundreds of years in order to control people. Well, what if the people all had access to this knowledge and what if what if they use the same knowledge to free themselves? Is that, is that uh, possible? That, that's, that would be heresy to Freemasonry. Now that, now that most of the world is conquered by the same system, uh, then uh, they, they understand Freemasonry is not an, an equality-type system. Freemasonry does not believe in democracy. It'll use democracies as to get you to revolt and have revolutions, but they don't believe in it themselves. You can go all the way back to, to Plato. They take a lot of the Platonic writings and the Socratic writings, uh, Socratic writings, and they also take the, the Neoplatonic writings from Alexandria in about the 2nd, 3rd century AD, uh, where they analyze that, that a, a, an intellectual intelligentsia should rule the world. And they did categorize different categories or class distinctions of human beings. 
turned down to the bottom, they brought in eugenics into it, that the people at the bottom would always be at the bottom because there was something in their blood or something, now that we call it genetics, uh, which stopped them getting any higher. Uh, and of course, at the time of when Darwin came along, this solidified into Darwinism. And then uh, under Lord Chesterton and other ones, it became the, the law is survival of the fittest. Now we call it genetics. And that heavily influenced Karl Marx, who congratulated Darwin for giving him validity to what he thought was his science of evolution. Uh, and, and then, of course, Adolf Hitler grabbed it too and put it into practice. So uh, this is a very ancient idea that's come down through the centuries all the way back to Plato, who verbalized it in different ways. Plato even talked about creating new kinds of humans for specified uh, work, different work types. Uh, So they're they're going towards the same thing today with bioethics, which is just eugenics. Mm. I do see that. I do see the nefarious agenda, absolutely. Um, It's still, still a fascinating, fascinating subject. You know, we speak to so many different people from so many different walks of life. Uh, We've had uh, Freemason authors on who um, tell us a story that uh, the Freemasons did at one point try to usurp and hijack. But right now it's nothing but a big bake sale and people just get together and network and do this and that. And then then the the other side is is like the information that you're relaying to us. So it's hard to get to to the bottom of the situation, but it's a fascinating subject nonetheless. Less. Um, what do you think about the the symbols that they use and uh, the astrological alignments that they use, astronomical alignments, I should say, in Washington and in other places all around the world? Are these to give the illusion of power, or do these symbols actually have some power within themselves? It's mainly be a, it's a form of elitism, where the higher Freemasons, very few folk in Masonry actually get very high, you know. Uh, most of them stay in the Blue Lodge, the third degree, Master Mason, uh, and they don't go higher. Um, but other, it's a great, Freemasonry at its most basic level is a, a sorting ground to categorize different people, which you can use from, say, a centralized Grand Lodge. Anywhere in the world, you can phone up the Grand Lodge and phone up so-and-so in India or wherever, wherever you need them, or a police chief in your country, uh, and, and eliminate a problem in your area. They'll, do, they'll deal with it immediately. Without question. It's a great military-type system in, in that you, you can never... When you're given an order by a superior mason, you must obey it instantly. And any moral reservations you have about the act you have to do, you have to put it to the side completely. So you have no... You can't use your own moral judgment. You must simply obey the order. That's pure masonry. Uh, you act without thinking. You do what you're told. Simple as that. It's a, it's a lot of power. That's that is a, lot a very, of power da- have. very dangerous yeah. way to think. Absolutely, uh, we can't have th- those kind of orders in in our society uh, because you can't have somebody who's committed murder throw up the Mason in distress sign and the judge says, "Okay, case dismissed." Yeah, and it, well, you also have it. I mean, don't forget your your police fraternities are generally run by Freemasonry. You have your police chief fraternity. The chief of police fraternity is as international as has got a headquarters at the United Nations. And every major police chief in Canada and the U.S. is a member of it. So they go towards a different set of laws than the laws of your country. And they take orders from a different head from your country. So you have independently acting people who work uh, under a different authority than than the rest of the citizenry. That's dangerous in itself. The same goes with the judges and everything else in your power structure. It makes a mockery of what you think is a, a system of democracy. 
complete mockery of it. And, and it, because you're guaranteed to secrecy and wherever you get up to, as the cops getting together and making sure their books all have the same statements and so on when something's happened, to back each other up. They're, they rig the results and they'll back each other up. Uh, it, it guarantees corruption. That is very true. That, that brings us back to religion then, because it, it makes me wonder, the teachings of Christianity, for instance, a, at least in your opinion, um, was Jesus Christ the Savior? Was he the Messiah? Is this uh, something that has been a grand deception to lead people away from this absolute truth? Or uh, does spirituality lie somewhere else? And it's all... No, it wasn't that. There's a lot more to Christ, early Christianity than people realize. Uh, it's a Judaic idea. Christianity. It was for Judaism. They were the only folk who had an idea, or a written idea of Old Testament, what we call Old Testament today, um, of a history of themselves and their purpose in the world. And of course, that seldom talked about what their purpose was, but they were chosen to bring what they claimed was enlightenment to the world. They lost their path, obviously and became navel-gazers and almost self-worshippers in ancient times. Uh, all they cared about to an extent was themselves. And out comes the long-awaited Messiah, who is... Now, the Messiah, again, was to be a leader to bring this enlightenment to the world. But, however, because they were ruled by Romans, and before that they had a lot of Greek influence as well from Alexander, they wanted to over to throw off the yoke of oppression uh, of their country that was basically uh, under martial law, ruled by foreign powers, and so the Messiah they wanted was a warrior Messiah, who would lead them through war and to to independence and sovereignty, and what came along in times of Jesus was a different guy altogether, and and it was often dis- it's still debated as, as to what school Jesus belonged to, because. Um, he had the right things down as a, as a messiah, uh, as to what his purpose was. He said that war wasn't, physical war would always be lost by the inferior group. That still holds well today. And so this worst war was to take place in, inside the individuals themselves. That's how you would change the world, as opposed to physical war. Uh, but that, that didn't go down well in his day. And so he was turned against by, by the fellow Jews. And when he said he was the son of God, that was looked upon as heresy by Judaism. And so they attacked him for it. But um, in the New Testament, there's certain things there which people overlook. Because Judaism in the days of Jesus wasn't the Hebrewism that preexisted in ancient times. It was a fairly new religion. And it came out of Babylon. When they were released from Babylon, for the first time, out came this, this sect called Judaism. And at the times of Jesus, there were many sects vying for power in, in Judea. And you had the sending groups and so on, the therapeutic, and you had uh, uh, the, the Pharisees, which were rabbis. There was no rabbinical law before they went into Babylon. Uh, they had the, the, the temple um, elite that were all in, in, a, in one family, the Levites. And they, they were destroyed in the captivity, and out of that came uh, people who tried to retain their religion but create a new one because they were not hereditary Levites, therefore they, they, they came out as, as a, new, a priesthood. And the priesthood themselves were a, a, brother, a secret of brotherhood with secrets themselves, the Pharisaical sect. 
and initially they hated the, the, the peasantry of, 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 Judy, of, of Jews, normal Jews, and they had their own secrets amongst themselves as a brotherhood. And in the New Testament, you find little traces of that where Jesus says, does not your own writing say that you are gods? So they'd basically taken into their religion, adopted into it, um, this idea that you could be a god king on earth. And that came out of Babylon. And you can also find it going back to Nimrod's day. That was an old thing. Uh, the, the, the later, uh, uh, the, 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 the 4th century BC Platonic idea uh, of the philosopher king, who's also a god, uh, it, was a, it was a mystery religion in itself at that time. So, so it's vastly different from what people think was, was going on in that particular era. Now, are you referring to um, the Kabbalic teachings? Because Jewish mysticism, when you really start to look at the Kabbalah, which is something that I started looking at recently, uh, just that from an investigative stance, and we've talked about the Kabbalah many times with many guests, but I never really actually looked into it myself. But it, it seems like they stole the information from the Egyptian mystery schools. There's evidence that absolutely uh, E. Wallace Budge, uh, he was the the main historian for the British Museum on Egyptology. He did a lot of the translations that still hold today in universities. And he mentions in some of his books that, 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 the, that people think the Kabbalah was a later writing. A lot of it is, by the way. A lot of it wasn't completed until about the 15th century or so, the last few, few books of it. But... Um, he said there was definitely traces of it in, in ancient Egypt. At least the, er, the embryo or, or embryonic phases of it were in ancient Egypt, which are, are come down through the ages, which doesn't surprise me at all uh, for many reasons. But um, as I say, don't forget that even Judaism, as you know it, didn't become a, a real form, formalized structure until a few centuries A.D., you know. Uh, there was... The, 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 the Talmud became the law of Judaism, and that really was written in, in uh, Judea and Babylon, two different sects of, of Jewish rabbis, in the 3rd, 4th, 5th centuries. That's when they put it together as a formalized structure of religion. So you had to really go into the past in great detail to find out what was happening in the whys and so on. And when the Kabbalah broke, broke out, it was, it was during um, the time of the European uh, Jewry, uh, where they were living in their, their, their pales of settlements, which really were, were where they, they had to live because they had to stay apart from the Gentiles. Uh, but uh, it was a very closed shop place, and when the economy was, wasn't doing well, they would, they would turn away from their religion and revert into Kabbalism, of, of magical way of thinking. And the Kabbalistic ideas came to the fore uh, that you could um, call down entities even, etc., using magic and formulas, astrology, uh, because the, in, in that way of thinking, the ancient Babylonian idea, all the constellations represented powerful, different, specialized gods or angels. And you can call them down for specialized purposes. And then the Kabbalistic tree of, of enlightenment with its, its ten sephiroth and so on. Th these things were all to do with um, power structures. And you can get yourself lost in it if you don't understand what you're truly uh, studying. But it also teaches you control factors over other people if you're actually learning the thing. As control factors is what it's also teaching you, how to manipulate people. Now, what are your thoughts between the ties between the Old Testament, 
or the Torah and Jesus' teachings or the New Testament. The Gnostics believe that Jesus was completely separate and he was speaking out against Judaism, but part of the trap when the Romans took control was to tie the two together with the Old Testament, the Torah, and, and mesh the two, even though Jesus stood for something completely, totally different. Now, the thing that turns me away from religion is actually reading the book. I, I would say that uh, relig- that the doctrines of religion are probably the biggest enemies of religion, because when you start to, to read it, you, you hear about all these rules of slavery, of stoning women. Even the New Testament, a lot of Christians will try to hide and say, well, the Old Testament doesn't apply to us, but in the New Testament it says women shouldn't speak out, uh, women shouldn't do this. Um, it's, it's just completely misogynist and it, it seems like a way to divide people, control people, give them a, a kind of elitist kind of feeling without while keeping them enslaved at the same time. It, it talks extensively about obeying your earthly masters, uh, give to Caesar what's it's Caesar's, etc., etc. So that's what's made me turn away from it 100%. But what are your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? Uh, we know that some of the Gnostics uh, groups, there's many kinds of Gnosticism, uh, but some of them came forward uh, and complained, e- even when Constantine was putting together this, trying to standardize her religion. Um, and that's what the big conference they had, was to standardize her religion, 325 AD. But uh, there's many, many different groups and sects, just like I say, Buddha, after he died, uh, about the same time, about 300 years later, they got together, all these splinter sects, and tried to formulate a standard uh, belief system. But um, that some of the Gnostics claimed that, uh, that they were stealing their religion uh, because uh, Jesus epitomized the, the God-King again, um, the man who became a, a, a god in a sense by... Uh, having the spirit of God come into him. That's how they verbalized it, that you didn't become all powerful physically or whatever. You, you, you were given the ability to expand everything by God, God's spirit coming into you. That was an idea that some of them had. Other Gnostic sects literally were so uh, almost Stoics in a way. They, 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 I mean, there was a lot of Greek influence with all of this too. And uh, some of them became like the later... Um, Shakers became in the U.S. They separated the men who joined from their wives, so they sleep in separate lodges. They couldn't have any sexual contact. They'd all work during the day, and eventually they died off too. There's nothing new under the sun. It's all been tried before in ancient times. So there are many types of Gnosticism, and true Gnosticism simply meant enlightenment, to know, understand. That's what it meant, to understand, to know. And, and the true Gnostic often became a hermit and got away from everybody else. Uh, other ones formed groups because the man's a social creature. Most people need other people all the time. And they form uh, the, the groups and their tenets, etc., etc., their belief systems. So, so it's a fascinating thing, but it's a, it's a vastly bigger field than you think. Again, too, even in modern times, you can't look upon the past with modern ideas and movements and trends that we've all been indoctrinated with. Uh, when Paul said that women should not speak uh, in the church, it was literally, when you went there for a sermon and to be taught, you didn't gossip and yap, and you didn't get up and channel God. Uh, like the, pe- the modern Pentecostals revived what was happening at, back in those days, when someone will stand up in the church, generally a woman, and she'll go off speaking in her tongue when guys give a sermon, and the Pentecostals will quietly, stand, you know, look up to the ceiling and quietly allow her to do her long five minutes in the in the limelight, 
and uh, and that's okay. But back then it was frowned upon uh, because, and that's what it was about. Um, so we can't judge by, by today what we're taught today by different groups with political ends or agenda or whatever it happens to be. It was vastly different back then. But really, that's all that was about. Don't don't uh, talk out in the churches. And there were many f- women uh, in the early, in the first couple of centuries BC, uh, AD, who uh, were, were evangelists, and that was quite allowed. Well, there is one named Tecla or Thecla, who was hanging out with Paul the apostle a lot of the time, and he threw her under the bus over and over and over again. She was a great teacher. Everybody loved her. Everybody loved to hear her speak about Jesus and about Gnosticism and about the Bible and et cetera, et cetera. But he did not like her. And I think that had a lot to do with him saying that about women shouldn't shouldn't speak because he just didn't like her. And there was actually a, a point in time where they were both arrested and he was let go and she was held and he just left town. He left town while she was being thrown into the lion's den. And for some reason, she prayed and the lions didn't hurt her. And so they ended up letting her go because they were like, oh, well, if she if she can command lions to leave her alone, then obviously she's got something going for her. So they let her go. But she she never even brought him to task on any of that. You, and, you understand a lot of narcissism. Uh, um, most of the Gnostic stories came out in about the 3rd and even the 4th century AD uh, because uh, as a Christianity had gone into so many splinter groups and uh, there's all kinds of ideas it's like you today, if you give you an idea you could run off with your own idea or idea of that idea of how it should be and that was happening back then too Paul, remember, brought Christianity to the Gentile world if it wasn't for that, it would remain a, a small Judaic subsect uh, but he brought it into the into the Gentile world. But 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 his main thing he was a Pharisee. He'd been trained as a Jewish uh, priest, and so he that's why he brought he started the communes just like uh, they had in Judea. It was all according to that. But he also for the first time brought in uh, Gentiles, which a lot as well the James back in in Judea turned against them at one point and joined them later on, agreed, but initially turned against them. He, they, they thought it was unthinkable because, because this, this evangelism was purely for Jewish people. So um, there was a lot of schismatic things going on at that time, but the Gnostic things came in much, much later, especially during the Alexandrian Neoplatonic era when the Gnostics gravitated towards Alexandria. And they started their mystery schools there, and many of them came out with the, the different, the later writings of, of of what they saw in retrospect as as, as a Christ. You know. Right, and that's why the uh, the Christians that were you know hardcore, not Gnostic at all, those were the ones that burned down the library, wasn't it? No, in fact, the library wasn't even burned down, but. I mean, uh, you understand when you go into the, the Egyptian history, you'll find out that for every document which they wrote, they had them sent across the ancient world to the other schools. There's one in modern, we call now Syria. Uh, there's another one um, in the Middle East, another, another Middle Eastern country. So there are about three or four different copies for everything, sometimes ten copies. Nothing was actually lost. And, and the actual library where all the documentation was kept was, was kept in the lower or basement level, and that was still intact. A lot of nonsense has been written about the past, 
uh, an awful lot of nonsense, in fact, uh, by present-day uh, political manoeuvring, you might say, or, or you know, and group manoeuvring as to actually what happened in the actual past. But you cannot look upon the ancient past by modern eyes, by our indoctrinations and present pushing for different rights and so on. It was vastly different back then. Uh, and, and unfortunately, we tend to always do that. And even when we're being used by a, another group who will say, that's wrong, isn't it? And we'll all say, yeah, that's wrong. Uh, then they'll bring up something from the ancient times and never give you the whole story. They give you a partial part of the story. Uh, you'll never get the whole truth because you're being used by polit- for political agendas. I find that happens all the time. Um, well, I did notice... Say, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was going to say that, remember... All religion, and this is what happened with Christianity, Rome was already a political power. It was an empire. And when it took over the religion, then it became spiritual and temporal. It was in charge of the physical world, commerce and everything, and it was in charge of the spiritual side. And that's when you you lose the meaning of religion, because if you were following the basic teachings of early Christianity, it, it was full of philosophy, and it was full of the fact that the world has always been evil because man himself, through greed and avarice, and all, will always be evil. And unfortunately, it's turned out to be true. Where and It doesn't matter how civilized you think you are. Um, the power structure, and people never have enough of anything. Those who desire and crave power will never have enough of everything. They want more and more, and they take it from you. It's, it will always be this way unless man himself fundamentally changes. And that was the, the part of the message of it, too. That's, what, that's why Jesus says the poor will always be with you. He didn't expect a utopia to come into to existence because of the, the cruelty and the nature of greed in mankind himself. I completely agree with that. And that's, that's what I tell the audience, is that the powers within themselves, that they're the leaders, the leaders in the mirror, that we don't have to look to external sources like religion or a savior or a messiah or anything like that. I don't know. Maybe that's contrary to what the teachings of Christianity are, but I, I think ultimately the power does lie within us, and, and we have to realize that. We have to realize that we are infinitely powerful beings, not small wretches that are sinners and that are made from dirt and that we're worthless and meaningless. And unfortunately, that's what the religions have been brainwashing people into believing. I mean, it, people. Well, Christianity actually preached a, a form of natural communism. And that goes against the grain of the of the system we've been brought in, which is purely materialistic. Uh, give your spare coat away if you've got two, uh, things like that. Don't accumulate your wealth in, in the earth for it will perish and so on or be stolen. Let me make a distinction really quick. It's not communism. It's socialism. And a, a, a socialist um, government that we've seen that actually worked was Libya. I mean, Gaddafi, he gave everything to the people, and the people did very well over there until we went over there and bought it. It was still materialistically based, you understand. We're living in a material world uh, where, where you must live. You wake up in it every morning. If you've got pains from the previous day, you'll have pains the next day too. You know this is a material world. And you've got to eat. You've got to eat. But we're living in an artificial structure, which is a, a modern form of slavery, whether you like it or not. We're good uh, money becomes your produce of your labor uh, instead of, of what you've actually made for yourself or traded for yourself and so on. Money is a substitute. Those who control the money will always control you, your government, and, and your whole existence by taking it from you or, or selling it, sell things back to you when you spend your money on. 
it's a it's a more sophisticated form of slavery. Charles Galton Darwin said that he was all for it. He understood it perfectly well, and um, we're in it. We're, we're trained. This is all quite normal. So we have all become materialistic, even though most of the material world we're, we're getting used to has been taken away from us bit by bit, and we don't like that at all. Getting back to the early times, early Christianity was an antidote to pure materialism, in its pure form, of don't collect wealth up. You know, trade, barter is just what you need. You don't need any, anything more than you basically need, and that was it. And that doesn't go down well with power mongers who want to have people bowing to them. They want servants. They want big palaces, uh, etc. It doesn't go. So you have always have the clash of the spiritual versus the material world, and, and that's the pure basis of, of that religion and, and some other religions too. Wow. Alan, I've got to say, it has been an honor to have you back on again. We're running out of time, unfortunately. I wanted to ask you about Christ consciousness and the New Age, but I think that's a whole other two-hour show for a later time. So we're going to schedule that. What's going on with your radio show? Are you still broadcasting? Um, I'm going to take more um, guest appearances for a while before I want to do a a daily Monday to to Friday show. A Monday to Friday show... You're forced to keep up with nothing but news. Most news that's put out there is fake. Uh, I hate to say that, but it's true. Uh, and and it's meant to keep you in a subservient position to those, again, who rule over you by keeping you on edge, by the way. Or else, if it's not doing that, it's training you to expect something to happen, which they will say is inevitable, and programming you. So rather than just get into the basic nonsense that they're throwing out there, because we never get told the truth on anything, and I mean anything, then I'd rather have this kind of show where you can actually go through various topics in more detail at a more leisurely pace, uh, and which is the only way you can possibly truly teach anything at all. Yeah. Well, whenever you're ready to do that, let us know, please, mm-hmm. and consider our platform. We've built a, an amazing network at True Frequency Radio. We've got uh, about 30 hosts right now and uh, from all walks of life. I mean, we've got uh, world-renowned filmmakers to activists to people that just want to get the news out there, um, get the news that's behind the news. Um, so, I mean, it's amazing, amazing network. We only take a break at the 27 and 57-minute mark, too, so it's long-format talk radio. And uh, I think it would be a platform that you would really um, get along with everybody at and just really fit in with the content. So definitely consider us. Um, anything, oh, definitely, yeah, sure, thanks. Anything you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, well, I always tell people to think for themselves and don't get caught up in something which is made to be popular. Uh, most popular things to think about or even be frightened about are put out there for a, a reason or a purpose uh, by power structures. And and you'll, you generally, if you're caught up in it, you'll never figure out why you're, you're being caught up in it and what the intention really is. Uh, always think for yourselves. It's a very rare thing that, that for people to do is think for themselves and, and simply don't panic. And even when you find out great truths about things, like the the planned future in, in, in great detail, because you've read the, the books, the articles put up by the big foundations and, and societies themselves that run the world. Uh, don't panic about that either. Uh, try to be content that, that now you know. Uh, say that uh, the truth shall make you free, but it makes you free inside. You're still uh, under bondage and outside to the system 
because that's the way it's been set up. But you have the freedom to know, understand why it's happening. <laughs> CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Alan Watt, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you so much for your time. It has been an honor. And thank you for, for all the work that you've done. Because like I said, we've been listening to you for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, you have been really pivotal and instrumental in our journey. And I'm sure all the listeners out there...